If uh, you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is where we are headed together today. I'll, I'll start by sharing. So Caitlin and I have recently decided um, to, to refine our TV watching. And one of the ways that we have done this is by turning Monday nights into a learning night. Uh, what this means for us is that if we watch TV on a Monday, it will be some kind of a documentary or, or maybe a Bible teaching or, or something of that sort, something that we can learn from instead of just sort of mindless entertainment. And several weeks ago, we watched an episode from a documentary called One Strange Rock. It's basically a nature documentary style thing, and it's about the earth, but it's got kind of a twist to it. Um, the, it's exploring the interesting and unique things about the earth, but specifically doing this from the perspective of the astronauts. And so throughout the documentary, there are these interviews with astronauts about their experiences seeing earth from space, as well as their reflections about what it is that makes life on earth so unique. And so the, the first episode focuses on one of the most fundamental things about planet Earth, something so fundamental that we experience it every single day. Uh, you're experiencing it right now, but, but probably none of us are really thinking about it. It's oxygen, right? I mean, if you are watching or, or listening right now, you're breathing. Oxygen is this fundamental aspect of, of life on earth. It's fundamental to life on earth. And, and I'm sure that you can imagine that astronauts have a pretty special appreciation for oxygen. I mean, every day they need to be either inside the space station or inside a space suit in order to breathe because there is no oxygen in space. Yet, there are also places on Earth where oxygen can be scarce. About halfway through the episode, they introduce a town in Peru called La Rinconada. It's the highest permanent settlement on Earth. It's over 5,000 meters above sea level. That is over 16,000 feet. And just to give you perspective, Mount Rainier is just a little bit over 14,000 feet, all right? So they live uh, about 2,000 feet above Rainier's summit, right? That, that is way up there. And so in this documentary, they interview a doctor there who often has to treat people with oxygen because at that height, there's only about half the amount of oxygen in the air as there is at sea level. And so the documentary goes on to, to talk about this and, and, and say that, that this is the highest elevation that people can actually live in. Uh, any higher than that is just not sustainable. And so the town of La Rinconada, it, it's, it's a, about the same elevation as the base camp for Mount Everest, all right? They sort of noted that. And so I was reading about folks who've done the climb to Everest summit, which is just short of 9,000 meters above sea level. That is over 29,000 feet. You cannot summit Mount Everest without bringing oxygen with you. There's a one high altitude medical expert who explained that once you start heading up 
from the base camp, the human body can only really live at most about two days without having supplemental oxygen with you. And once you close into that final stretch of the summit, even the simplest action, like sitting up out of your sleeping bag, is enough to make a person short of breath. And at the top of the summit, a person can only last about 20 minutes or so before it becomes intolerable and they have to head back down. And yet, summiting Everest still remains a goal for the most avid adventurers and, and backpackers because what an incredible experience to be at the highest point on earth. All of this has had me thinking about our life in Christ because not unlike La Rinconada, as members of God's kingdom, our lives are lived somewhere between heaven and earth. Many of us can point to moments in our life with God where we've had some sort of mountaintop experience of his love and his grace. And our passage today here in Mark chapter 9, uh, we're going to see one of these mountaintop experiences. But Jesus is going to show us that Though mountaintop experiences are good and necessary, the kingdom of God is not ultimately lived on top of a mountain, but it moves down the mountain into the lowest of places. So let's, let's read our passage together here. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. And I can, I think, share it here on the screen uh, if you want to follow along. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi. It is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one there with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's, let's pray as we continue. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for um, those mountaintop experiences. And we thank you that you come down the mountain as well. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So this story in Mark chapter 9 is, is a bit strange. And I think a lot of the time, we aren't really sure what to do with it. But it shows us a lot about the reality of heaven, the identity of Jesus, and life in the kingdom. And so I want to just walk back through this passage together and reflect on, on those things, the reality of heaven, the identity of Jesus, and, and life in the kingdom. And so first, the reality of heaven. You know, the changing perspectives can help you to see reality in a new way or help you see a new reality altogether. One of my favorite movie scenes is from Dead Poet Society. Uh, maybe some of you have seen this. When Professor John Keating, played by Robin Williams, starts off class by jumping up on his desk, and you know the class is a little bit confused, and he asks them, why do I stand up here? I stand up on my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. The world looks very different from up here. And then he tells them, you don't believe me? Come see for yourself. And then the whole class lines up behind his desk to climb up and see the classroom from this new perspective. In the documentary I mentioned, the astronauts similarly often reflect on how seeing Earth from outer space gives them a new perspective. They see reality in a new way from up there. And this is what Jesus does with his disciples. The passage begins with him leading them up on a high mountain. And just like Professor Keating, Jesus invites his disciples up to see the world from a new perspective. And on the mountain, they don't see reality in a new way. They actually see a new reality altogether as they stood up on the mountain, right? It says Jesus was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. You see, up on the mountain, they see a glimpse of the reality of heaven. And the point is this, the reality of heaven, this, this reality was there the whole time, right? They, they hadn't just seen it. They hadn't noticed it or recognized it. So Jesus brings them up and he shows them this. And for a moment, they get to see what's going on behind the curtain. And that's how Bible scholar N.T. Wright explains this kind of phenomenon. In men's group, we just started studying the book of Mark together from the very beginning. And along with reading the Bible itself, the book of Mark itself, we're also reading N.T. Wright's commentary. And if you can remember back several weeks ago, the very beginning of Mark, Jesus is baptized. And it says that the heavens are torn apart, right? We talked about this a little while ago. And, and here's what N.T. Wright says about that moment in his commentary. He writes, seeing the heavens open, seeing them torn apart, doesn't mean that Jesus came up out of the water and saw a little door ajar miles up in the sky. Heaven in the Bible often means God's dimension behind ordinary reality. It's more as though an invisible curtain right in front of us was suddenly pulled back so that instead of trees and flowers and buildings, we are standing in the midst of a presence 
altogether different, a different reality altogether. And he, go, he goes on to say, a good deal of Christian faith is a matter of learning to live by this different reality, even when we can't see it. And so our passage today is another one of these moments in Mark's gospel where that curtain is pulled back and the reality of heaven is revealed. And it's essential to have moments like this. We need to get up and stand on top of the desk every now and then. We need to catch glimpses of heaven because it helps us to see the deeper reality behind ordinary life. In moments like these, we get to see what God is like and who Jesus is. And that's what happens here as we keep on reading. You see, the, the mountaintop experience doesn't only reveal the reality of heaven, it also shows us the identity of Jesus. As we keep reading, some very interesting things begin to take place. In verse 4, it says, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now, I want you to catch the significance of this moment. This isn't just Jesus talking with some really great leaders from the Old Testament. Jesus is more or less talking with the Old Testament itself. I mean, Jewish scriptures are often referred to as the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. And Jesus is shown here with Moses and Elijah. He's talking with the law and the prophets, right? I mean, Moses is the great teacher of Israel who received the law on Mount Sinai. He's the one who taught it to the people. And then Elijah is this great prophet of Israel who works incredible wonders and defended the Lord against the prophets of Baal. Maybe to put it into our own perspective, this would be like seeing the appearance of one of the gospel writers and the apostle Paul, right? I mean, this is where the New Testament came from. Wouldn't you be excited? I mean, what kind of questions would you want to ask? How would you feel? What would you do? So Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, are the way that God has revealed himself to his people. And here on the mountain, Jesus is standing in their midst, talking with them. You know, the, the Gospel of John gives us this image of Jesus as the Word of God. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, we see this image of Jesus conversing with the law and the prophets, saying that Jesus, too, reveals the Word of God. Jesus is a spokesperson of the very Word of God, but there's more than that. I want you to pay attention to what happens next. I love verses 5 and 6. Peter is overwhelmed and doesn't know what to say. So what does he do? Well, he starts spouting off, you know, wow, this is amazing. He says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter is amazed at this experience. And so he wants to honor them all. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, right? These are the teachers and the prophets of Israel. These are the messengers of God. Wow. But as soon as he suggests this, we have verse 7. 
Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. You see, out of Peter's well-intentioned amazement, he wants to honor all three of them. But God the Father speaks from heaven and corrects him. You see, Jesus is not just another teacher of Israel. Jesus is not just another great prophet. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus is the Word, and that the Word was with God. But it also says, and the Word was God. And that's precisely what the voice of God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my Son. Listen to him. And so the revelation that occurs up on the mountain shows us that Jesus is not just a good example, not just a great teacher. He's not just a new chapter to the law and the prophets. Jesus did not just come to point to God. This is God himself in the flesh coming to finally set things right and establish his kingdom. So on the mountain, we see the reality of heaven and the identity of Jesus. And these two things must go together. They have to go together. You see, in our culture today, and then up here in the Pacific Northwest especially, there are a lot of people who really in some way or another believe in the reality of heaven. People who are seeking deep spiritual experiences. They don't know Jesus, right? A lot of people that that are holding on to that part, they don't know Jesus. But at the same time, There are plenty of good church folk who talk a lot about Jesus, but have spiritual lives that are more or less non-existent. Folks who say they believe in Jesus, but don't really pray, don't really seek after him in any meaningful way. I mean, you know, Peter missed the point, but at least he offered to set up some dwellings, right? I mean, there are plenty of church folk who do a lot less, even if their theology is technically correct. We need to be a people who not only believe in Jesus, but who seek his kingdom. We need to be a people who pour out our hearts in prayer, who bow down in worship, who seek those perspective-shifting mountaintop moments. This is essential to our spiritual life. But the story doesn't stop there. In verse 8, Moses, Elijah, and the bright shining light all fade away. And then in verse 9, it says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. See, as important as mountaintop experiences are, life in the kingdom, is not lived on the mountaintop. Peter wanted to set up tents there and stay, but Jesus led them back down the mountain. You see, Peter couldn't set up tents there any more than we could camp on the summit of Mount Everest. The kingdom of God will bring you to the mountaintop, 
but it inevitably always sends us back down the mountain. Because life in the kingdom is lived at sea level. You can't be fishers of men on the mountaintop, right? You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you never come into contact with your neighbor because you're always by yourself on the mountain. Life in the kingdom always moves from the mountain down into the valleys. And so how does this connect to all of the other things we've been talking about the last several weeks in the book of Mark? Right Throughout this whole series of unclean, we keep seeing Jesus do the least expected thing. Right With the leper, we, we most expect you know, Jesus to back up and, and move away, but instead Jesus reaches out and moves toward him. You know, and then no one would ever expect Jesus to go into some kind of pig-infested Gentile territory, and yet that's exactly where Jesus goes in order to free the man of the unclean spirit. And then whenever the bleeding woman touches Jesus, everyone expected a stern rebuke or some measure of outrage, but Jesus speaks to her with kindness and encourages her faith. And then there's the little girl who dies. The people never expect Jesus to go into the room with a, a dead body, right? That, that would be unclean, and yet that's exactly what he does. He goes into that room. He touches the little girl and wakes her up, brings her back to life. Jesus is constantly moving in a direction that we least expect. And the very same thing happens here in this passage when we experience a spiritual high, a mountaintop moment. We're often right there with Peter, right? We're ready to set up camp and stay a while. But instead of staying on the mountain, Jesus heads back down. And he doesn't just head to anywhere. Jesus heads to the cross. In verse 9, Right after this incredible experience, Jesus is already beginning to talk about his death because he is headed from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. And this is what life in the kingdom is all about. It's not just spiritual highs. It's self-sacrifice. See, we don't only walk up to the mountaintop. We also walk down into the valley of the shadow of death. Life in the kingdom is shaped like the cross. And that's what this story is about. So as, as this sermon time comes to a close, I want to offer two challenges to you guys. Uh, the first one is this. I, I want to challenge you to move from spiritual highs to spiritual disciplines. Moving, I want to challenge you to move from spiritual highs to spiritual disciplines. When I was a teenager, I remembered going to all sorts of church camps and church retreats. There was worship and prayer and powerful preaching and community. And every year, I remember ending the retreat with a big spiritual high. And then finally, you know, I, I was going to devote my life to God and every year, over and over again, this is the year, this is the year. And then a few weeks later, I would go back to living my normal, lukewarm, spiritual life 
But at some point, I came across the description of the early church in Acts 2.42. And it describes them as, as awe. It says awe came upon everyone there. And it was just like those spiritual highs that I experienced. But in Acts 2.42, that awe is not just random. That awe comes because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, these are the exact same things that we did on those retreats. And so no wonder we left the retreats with a spiritual high. But here's what I realized after my camp high experiences. And here's what the early church shows us. The point is not living between spiritual highs. The point is being devoted to regular spiritual disciplines, like the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. See, I want to challenge you to move from spiritual highs to spiritual disciplines. We don't have youth group retreats, but we do have our Sunday worship, right? These gatherings that we have, whether they're in person or online, are not meant to just be a spiritual high. It is meant to encourage you in spiritual disciplines throughout the week. Daily scripture reading, reflection, prayer. Every time we practice a spiritual discipline, we're committing ourselves to getting up on the desk and seeing the world in a new way. We're, we're committed to seeing the reality of heaven all around us. That's what spiritual disciplines are all about. And so my challenge is to move from spiritual highs to spiritual disciplines. The second challenge that I have for you is to move from spiritual experience to spiritual expression. This means we, we don't just store up spiritual experiences for ourselves, but we express them to others through words and actions that proclaim God's kingdom. Several years ago, I had a chance to go work with a church in Gulu, Uganda for several weeks with a group of college students. And every morning while we were there, we would gather together to worship and pray. And these were really powerful times. We would sing songs to God. We would pray over each other. We would pray over the city where we were. And then after that, we would move from spiritual experience to spiritual expression as we headed out into the streets to meet people, to share the gospel, to pray for them. And this is the pattern of life that we see in the kingdom of God from mountain to the valley. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, there's a phrase that's used to describe the people of God who worked in the temple. It often says that they went in and out before the Lord. This is how it describes them. They went in and out before the Lord to describe the priests or, or the folks who, who did that. So-and-so went in and out before the Lord. And I just love that phrase because that is a pattern for us. In and out before the Lord from experience to expression. In and out before the Lord. So that's what I want to challenge you in. Uh, 
spiritual highs to spiritual disciplines and spiritual experience to spiritual expression. So I want to ask, what disciplines can you devote yourself to throughout the week? To keep getting up on the table and seeing the world from a new perspective, to try to get a glimpse of heaven all around us. What disciplines can you devote yourself to throughout the week? And another question, uh, who might you express and share your spiritual experiences with? Who can you share good news with? Who can you serve and love? Who are those people that, that you can let whatever God has done in your life spill out into their life? Who are those people that you can share with? And so as, as we go into this next week, I want to encourage you that no matter where you are, whether you're feeling spiritually high or spiritually dry, God is with you. God is on the mountaintop, and God is down in the valley. And so wherever you are, may God meet you there. Amen.